Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com slash show. That's staffingreferrals.com slash show. Hi, and welcome to The Staffing Show. Um, I'm here today with April Hansen of Aya Healthcare. Thank you so much for joining me today, April. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so uh, from your perspective as a leader of a healthcare staffing firm, I really wanted to jump right in and um, talk about the, the current state that we're in. Um, I'm wondering how how things have changed for you guys on the ground and the way that you do business in light of the pandemic. Yeah, you know, I, I have to say, I think a lot has changed, um, maybe mostly around just the speed at which we work. And so we oh. very, very quickly morphed into being, you know, nearly a 24 by seven operation. And for many weeks and months we were, um, things have, have changed a little bit where we've gotten back to some degree of normalcy, but I would say the speed at which we're conducting business has changed very rapidly. Um, I would also comment and say that we have taken advantage of this kind of shakeup in the industry and in the business, if you will, to really look at each of our different business units, really take a critical look at some of our operating processes and decide, is that the most efficient or effective way to get the job done? And we've sort of peeled back each component of the business, done a critical appraisal and either, you know, reassembled or modified or added on and grew and scaled that that component of the business. And we've taken, I would say, a lot of, uh, and we've made a lot of investment in during these last few to really make sure that we are set up to scale. And I think, it, you know, it's really paying off for us. We've scaled a lot. We've grown an incredible amount. And that doesn't get done by accident, right? <laughs> you really have yeah. to be critically paying attention to your business. And what were some of the, uh, I, I've heard this a few times from people about how crucial it is to remain agile in, a situation like this, I mean, really in general, but the this in 2020 more than ever, um, what were some of the things that were driving those, those changes, um, uh, if you could speak a little to that? 
Yeah, for sure. I think everything right now for us in particular, and this is probably different for other businesses, but with the rapid growth of our business, it's been everything is about scaling, right? So gaining productivity, having the infrastructure and the foundation in place to scale. A lot of times as businesses age, they sort of lose that that ability to handle and digest hockey stick like growth, right? What you would see in maybe a startup company or an early funded company. Um, that's different when your business is 20 plus years old. And so when you see companies that are at that stage, they're, they're usually not set up from an intra- infrastructure perspective that can bear that degree of growth and scale without losing something without losing traction or without another part of the business folding. And I think what has been you know, really unique for us is that our infrastructure was both under a microscope and in a spotlight at the same time. And so we were able to look at, you know, what was the foundation that we had laid and was it stable and ready for scale? And did we have to reassemble some things? Did we have to change some things in order to enable that scalability? And we did that very, very quickly in any of the areas that we needed to. And some of the other areas, they were set up exactly as they needed to be. Um, They just needed to grow. We needed to add talent. We needed to add some technology, different things like that in, in order to handle the additional productivity and, and the scalability. And, and in terms of uh, maybe tools you've adopted or, or uh, strategy changes, can you share for our listeners anything you'd be comfortable with in terms of what has been the most powerful uh, change for you guys in terms of enabling this kind of growth? Absolutely. I would say that our marketplace where clinicians and clients are, you know, almost able to interact directly is a game changer. You know, I has been very disruptive in the way that we allow um, information and we funnel information to get to clinicians about the jobs that are available. Um, our infrastructure is very unique. Our whole business runs on one platform where many businesses have to move information and data from, say, an internal ATS to an external VMS and, and integrate multiple third-party systems together. IA's business doesn't function like that. And so right from the core of our business being set up um, to handle this type of, of change, it, you know, we're in a really good position. But, you know, weekly, we have over 26,000 clinicians that are searching jobs right now on our web portal, you know, conducting nearly 150,000 job views. They can create their own pay packages. They can self-select recruiters are directing clinicians into jobs and recommending jobs for clinicians. And the technology is really smart. And so it helps match uh, clinicians into those best match jobs, remember their search preferences, surface things that, that they might be interested in. And it's added an incredible amount of recruiter productivity. It's also taken out some of the inefficiencies that recruiters used to have to spend a lot of time on you know, haggling back and forth on pay package elements and all those things. It's now fully transparent. Clinicians can choose their pay package. They can design it the way that it fits best for their life and their experience and kind of choose their own adventure. And I would say that degree of tech enablement um, and procedural enablement has been game-changing for Aya as a business. And with that sort of... um Transparency, which I know is 
so much as what, especially healthcare candidates are looking for. Um, I'm sure that's a big game changer. I, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more to how this different way of operating um, manifests on the ground for your candidates. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a ton of candidates that come to us through referrals, right? So having um, clinicians that are using the platform refer in other good clinicians, I think that's really important. So we're growing astronomically that user base inside our marketplace. And at the same time, it's almost real-time feedback for clients to know what levers that they pull in with their jobs really engages the end consumer, that clinician, right? So if you're, if you're a client and you're struggling with low fulfillment or low traction on a job, it's really easy to you know, pull a lever of a $5 rate change and see if it attracts candidates or not now with the visibility and the technology that's, that's really unique to Aya. So I would say how it impacts you know, sort of the users on both sides, right? We always have to consider our clients and our clinicians when you're operating a marketplace, you know, really both come into play. And we've been able to get micro level feedback in real time that just has never been available, in, at least in my knowledge, in this industry before. Mm-hmm. And it completely influences the way we operate our business. We don't sit back at the end of a quarter and try to see, you know, oh, this was the trend and this is what we should have done. We are operating our business in the moment with real-time feedback, which is completely different. And have you seen, with this model, have you seen any sea changes this year or in response to the pandemic? Um, Like, what have you learned? Um, Any what kind of changes? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Oh, just uh, changes on the clinician side or any sort of sea changes related to the pandemic since you have this, this, you're sort of on the pulse of what your candidates want. How has the pandemic changed that? Yeah, you know, that's that's a really good question. So I think as as most healthcare staffing companies would observe right now, clinicians who used to be really um, more regional focused or maybe they were more motivated by things kind of within the region in which they lived, um, that's really morphed, right? I think most of our clinician base and, and especially in some really hard um harder to fill specialties right now, um, they're a national supply base. And so clinicians are less sensitive to location right now. They're more sensitive to um, the type of contract that they want. If they want sort of a more rapid response style, quick fill, higher dollar, potentially shorter term contract, more hours, those sorts of things, they're they're more motivated by those pieces. Um, I also think that Many, many clinicians have entered the travel workforce for the first time during the pandemic, and they entered in a time of great uncertainty. The contracts were you know, changing by the minute. The demands of the patients were different and unlike we had ever seen especially in some of our hotspots and the motivation to come into the business for many clinicians during that time frame was somewhat driven by just overall ability, competency, willingness to sort of run into the war, right, and help. That motivated people from a different place. And I, I think with that, we're seeing a lot of clinicians that have continued to extend. They've taken new assignments. They've fallen in love with an employer and they're staying there and enjoying, you know, a different life. Um, but many of them found travel nursing really from a call to duty. 
And because of that, they now have explored a new career path that they're really sticking with. We have excellent retention. We're seeing a a very high percent of rebook and legacy clinicians coming into their next assignment. And that has introduced a whole new element of supply who really got in into this work for, you know, it may be a different reason, but a very compelling reason. Mm, that's so interesting. I hadn't heard that before about um, sort of this new generation of travel nurses brought in by the pandemic. Um, and this is maybe uh, hard to say still, but how, what, what impact do you think that'll have on the travel nursing profession post-pandemic or moving forward? You know, I think it's going to have impacts for travel nursing. I think it's going to have impacts on core staffing. And by impacts, I don't necessarily mean negative. I think there's some very positive impacts here. Um, We did a a large-scale survey of our clinician base that served during the first pandemic in a couple of hotspots in New York and New Jersey. And when we started really peeling back the data that we, we learned from our clinicians on these exit surveys, we learned some interesting points. We learned that um, first-time travelers in this were actually more likely to recommend their assignment than an experienced traveler. And Whoa. so that, that shared information with us to say, you know what, this was highly motivating for these clinicians. Whoa. They felt a higher sense of purpose um, and they actually had a really great experience even when they hadn't done this before. So it was all new to them and they loved it. Um, we also found that clinicians that were in medical surgical environments rated their assignments a little less favorably than those in critical care. And we think, you know, a part of that, of course, had to do with workload. Um, you know, it's these, these patients were sick and they are sick and they're, they're heavy patients to deal with and a heavy patient load, right? So um, we were able to really take that feedback with our clients and say, these types of clinicians and in this scenario, they need more support. And we looked internally and we said, these clinicians need more support. So what can we do from our travel experience team all the way to our clinical team and, and build more support around these clinicians? Something that has been an interesting sort of hybrid impact between travel and core staff has really been the need for core staff to have some respite care in the areas where they have been going 90 miles an hour for months on end. You know, the the buildings have been full. Um, Visitors have been restricted. So the most important care team member in many circumstances is no longer at the bedside. That's the family, right? Or the loved one that's taking care of someone. So the nurse has taken on the role of everything from, you know, the plumber and the EVS worker when we were in PPE um, containment strategy time, right? Um, You know, and do all of those things you know, to now being really the the sole resource for many of these patients as well. So I think there's impacts on core staff where they need respite care. And in some ways, travel nurses coming in have helped to shoulder the burden slightly and at least allow them to maybe work a few less hours a week, um, get some time away. But I also think that, you know, core staff could be impacted by seeing the opportunity that's available right now in travel nursing and say, you know what, that looks great and I want to do that too. And we've heard that mm. some health systems are, you know, are happy and some are not that, that their core staff mm-hmm. are kind of seeking adventure in travel nursing too. But, you know, I, I think that the freedom of choice for employment right now is it's mm-hmm. unlimited in its potential for travel nursing. And I think some of the impacts showing nurses what they can do 
and the value of their skill sets in so many different ways and how that contributes to healthcare, it's really, um, it's a game changer for the profession all told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that the hospitals and sort of the systemic support that comes for, for travel nurses right now um, and some adjustments that you're making internally to offer a new level of support for travelers. Um, what, what are some ways that you've found that have had an impact for the, you know, like nurses are really excited about this, but they're also facing, as you mentioned, just higher levels of stress and, and uh, sort of outsized uh, responsibilities in their roles with COVID-19. So how have you guys uh, shifted to support your nurses now? Yeah, you know, if I think back, so if I kind of go back chronologically um, and think back to March, which feels like three years ago, right? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I think back to some of the decisions that that we were making as a small leadership team and, you know, thinking about things like, what's going to happen when and if our clinicians get sick? How are we going to resource them? It would be the wrong thing to tell them, you know, to go back home and quarantine there. We don't want them to travel. We want them to stay where they're safe and where they can keep people safe. Um, How are we going to make decisions to support clinicians with sick time? How are we going to make decisions to support clinicians shouldering the burden of extra housing expenses? And how are we going to share those costs to the, you know, extent that we can with our clients and help them understand the predicament that clinicians are in when they are away from home? Right. And so, um, you know, we did a lot of work up front as a small team to decide first and foremost, we were going to make the right decision by our clinicians and the right decision by our clients. And that's our guiding principle and always our, our North Star. And so, you know, there, were, there have been many instances and times where we have allowed clinicians to go negative into sick time just so that they can get, you know, a, they can get a paycheck and not be destitute when they're also stuck away from home. You know, being able, we have funded mm-hmm. some, had to fund some housing stipends and, you know, just do some other things like that to help keep our clinicians well and taken care of. Um, And I'm sure we've made mistakes along the way too, because I think everybody's learning, but it's been very deliberate on our side to say, we want to take care of our clinicians. We've, you know, done some really cool things, um, just from a motivation perspective, trying to keep clinicians engaged and offer them some really neat um, opportunities, whether it's, you know, virtual concerts and really cool Mm -hmm. Nurses Week videos and gifts and shout outs and, you know, Facebook groups that we see a lot of collaboration and support amongst the clinicians. Aya has really been built on a foundation of ha- providing exceptional experiences for our clinicians. We have an entire team. They used to be called the Traveler Happiness Team. They're our travel experience team. And their whole job is to ensure that our clinicians are happy. You know, prior to the pandemic, if we had a clinician who, you know, we did, we had a clinician in Texas whose shoes got ruined in their car when, you know, the thing flooded and, you know, the travel experience team just got them a new pair of shoes, right? They didn't have to go ask for special approval and do this kind of stuff. They, they have carte blanche to extend company resources to take care of our clinicians and having that infrastructure already in place was paramount to our success in retaining our clinician base and having them be happy, um, you know, through the pandemic. And, and we continue to do that. 
So we continue to think of you in new, new and unique ways to keep our clinicians engaged, keep them happy, take care of their problems when they're stuck. Um, not every you know assignment ends with a rainbow, right? There's there's very real things that happen, and I think we do a good job. Um, managing through those situations and we try to keep everyone happy to the fullest extent of our ability. Now, things are going to happen, right? There's going to be some unfortunate outcomes and we're in a very dynamic and fast business right now. But I think all told, having that infrastructure already in place, having that really be the culture um, of our organization has been paramount to helping us make good decisions and make good decisions on behalf of our business, our clients, and our clinicians throughout this timeframe. Yeah, you you took the words out of my mouth because as you were speaking, I was just hearing uh, that you have uh, the culture in place to foster this kind of um, support and community for your travelers. Um, And the pandemic for a lot of staffing firms has really been a test of culture, um, uh, both in terms of moving remote and in terms of having to really be agile in the ways you've been talking about um, and make changes really quickly in the face of uncertainty. Um, how have you guys sort of preserved your culture in this sort of hotbed of the pandemic? You know, I, I think um, back in SIA, at SIA, probably two years ago, our CEO was on a panel and, and they were talking about culture and everybody was saying, you know, the things that they do. And, um, you know, our CEO responded and said, you really have to think, what is culture? Right. And sure, we have everything that we did before when we were in person in our offices, full bore. We had, you know, if we had yoga on site, we now have virtual yoga. We have virtual meditation. We have nutritionists on staff that are conducting virtual classes. We have a full-time event planner who does nothing but plan amazing engagements and parties for Aya. If you know anything about parties, we have, or Aya, we have the best parties in the industry. And, um, And she has channeled all of her creative energy into creating amazing team events. We have done Done mixologist team events, virtual escape rooms, lip sync contests, <laughs> trivia nights, concerts. Um, this coming Monday at SIA, we are hosting a, a virtual 80s happy hour um, with our, our oh. staffing partner network. And I mean, you name it. Um, our team, our company put together, a, you know, totally distance drive-in movie. We rented out a giant parking lot in San Diego and served individually packaged wow. meals. I mean, you name it. We have done wow. so many cool things to keep our spirit and our connectedness at, at a very basic level. Um, we've always been enabled to work remotely. So from like a technology shift where you hear a lot of companies that are like, oh my gosh, we just didn't even have, you know, the infrastructure to let people go work from home. Our people have always had that flexibility. It's very rare. I mean, a lot of people like coming to the office because our offices are fun. We have free food. We all, you know, we're like one giant family. Um, so that's fun. But we've always had that ability to really, you know, work on the fly. So our where our systems are housed in a cloud. It's it's easy. We're there. You know, Microsoft Teams is right on my cell phone. So if I need to go somewhere, I am, you know, I'm available and accessible. 
we've collaborated really, really well. I think, you know, going to Microsoft Teams earlier in the year and kind of streamlining through that platform, our business was already set up in a highly collaborative function virtually. I talk on video all day long with my team members, even if we weren't, you know, in a pandemic. So um, I think we've done so much that if we had it while we were together in person, we still have it. And I don't think a lot of our team members team members have really experienced a feeling of loss um, to, you know, from being out of the office. And, and when it was safe for, to get us back into our offices, we did. And we did it very smartly. Um, and now people have a choice, right? If they're there and they want to work oh. from an office, that's great. Um, if they're already remote, which we have a large remote workforce, you know, we're just doing what we've always done, except my, I do think my business development team would probably like to pack their suitcases and go ride an escalator in an airport just for old time's sake. Um, because I think they probably miss, you know, Marriott and Delta and other things. But um, I'd say for the most of us, you know, we're, we've adapted really well. Oh, that's interesting. I've heard that uh, what you had before the pandemic seems to make a huge difference in how well you maintained uh, throughout this trial. So uh, it sounds like it sounds like you backed that theory up too. Um, totally. So you are had the foundation. Um, uh, you, so you mentioned that you had uh, you guys have a pretty small leadership team. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you guys work and sort of what your leadership style is. Yeah, I mean, I would say that that we we actually have a pretty large leadership team, but it was kind of, you know, a small group of a small core group of us making decisions on the fly during the pandemic. Um, I, I would say that our leadership structure in AYA is is probably also unlike many other staffing companies leadership style um, or leadership structure. You know, we are probably one of the least bureaucratic organizations that I've ever seen. And, and that bodes well with a lot of people who like that structure. We're highly entrepreneurial. We hire the best talent. We, ex- we hire them so that they can think on their own, right? Um, and, you know, because of that, you know, people will roll in and they'll say, let me see your org chart. <laughs> We're like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, there's, um, you don't put a ton of, of weight in different things like that. But we have some phenomenal leaders that, motivate and inspire their teams every single day. Um, And that's really, you know, what I think is important. We subscribe to sort of a school of thought around situational leadership. And I think our organization demonstrates that really, really well. There are certainly times and especially times of constant chaos where you need a leader to be a bit more directive. You sort of need this, um, you know, autocracy that comes in and says, this is what we need to do, right? And then everybody is like, thank you for the direction. I am, you know, I'm so tired of making my own decisions. And then there are other times where it's completely applicable to lead our groups by a democracy, right? And sort of get that vote and see what's, what's going to happen, um, but I would say that, you know, first and foremost, to, to really thrive as a leader in our organization, being able to manage yourself situationally and turn your leadership style to what is needed at that point in time in the business for that individual in that situation is key. And, and I think I embody personally a lot of those elements when my team, 
you know, really needs me to make a decision, give direction, be very, very clear about what is needed. I absolutely do that. When there's the opportunity for me to just, you know, pass the buck and say, you know, be very laissez-faire about some things that, that don't need me right? Mm-hmm. Then I am 100% mm-hmm. comfortable with my team leading um, in, in that way as well. So really being able to pivot um, and being able to situationally adapt and, and adjust is a key leadership trait that is, is finding success in, in our organization right now. It sounds like that also comes with an attendant sort of comfortability with you know, hanging back and letting people do their own thing allows them the possibility to succeed. And it also creates a certain space where it's safer to make mistakes or safer to fail even. Um, so I'm wondering how, what's your relationship to to failures or mistakes? Um, like, do you, how has a failure in your past set you up for success? Oh, yeah. How, which one? How many? Right. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. No, that's, um, I'm, I'm no, um, uh, I'm not afraid of failure, you know, but I, I think it's, it's one of those things, right. That if you don't know failure, you've never really experienced triumph. Right. And so, um, I, I think it's important to, to look at both. And I also think you're exactly right. You know, if I back up just a bit, um, allowing your, your individual contributors, your team members, your teams together to function, right? Get out of their way and let them go. We hire really, really smart, super talented people. And we hire them with the reason that we want them to do what they're great at, right? So mm-hmm. it would be it would be damning to put, you know, some sort of bureaucracy in the way to stunt their abilities. And we do our very, very best every single day to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, I also think that, you know, if, if we, if we think about leadership in different ways, when we have a super high performing team, my role changes where I am just removing barriers out of their way. What is the roadblock? What's the next thing you see up around the corner? I'm going to go get that out of your way and you just keep going. Keep your foot on the gas pedal mm-hmm. and go. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think that, you know, we're, we're certainly not immune um, to failures. I think sometimes it's, you know, I always have the, the tendency to be, a little bit more on, you know, that sort of democratic side, right? Like, let's go politic this Mm -hmm. around a little bit and figure out if it's the right decision and that kind of stuff. And something that I've Mm -hmm. learned over the course of this pandemic, when everybody is running um, low on gas, right? If they're they're tired, they have, um, you know, developed and, and worked through many, many, many challenges, sometimes just providing direction which doesn't always seem exactly my style, just giving that direction and getting things done is alleviating to them. They're not mad. They're just happy that, you know, stuff is just moving and going because sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees when we're in this time of constant chaos. So, you know, when I think about yeah. that, if, you know, if there's some, some failures, it's, you know, maybe not being quick enough to give some direction and sort of, you know, thinking that everybody's got some things handled. Um, and you course correct, you know, if I think overall, uh, you know, kind of just career-wise and, you know, some, some of those many, many failures, something that I've learned just about my own path is to stay in the lane of, of what I'm really good at. Um, and I'm good in healthcare staffing. I love healthcare staffing. You know, I've, I've been in this industry on every angle of it and I love it. I've dabbled in other businesses. I own other businesses. And when I come back and I really, really think about it, um, 
I'm, I'm best when I stay in this lane and I stay in this industry. Oh, this is okay. what I'm competent and knowledgeable about. Um, it's what I'm passionate about. And, you know, I, I think that's probably palpable. Um, but at the same <laughs> way, you know, I've, I've gotten, I've owned a hair salon. I have no idea why I owned a hair salon, right? Like what was I doing? <laughs> if you've ever seen my hair, you'll know that I do not have that talent. Um, you know, when you think about those things, it's really deciding, wow, what, what have I been blessed with for skills and abilities and competence and confidence and, and stay close to that, <laughs> which is what I am doing here That's in healthcare great. staffing. Uh, and that also, that, that self-knowledge takes, takes, takes failure, takes comfortability with failing, takes like comfortability with taking the kind of risks that, um, that can go either way, you know? So it sounds like, it sounds like knowing what you're passionate about is sometimes hard one. Um, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, There's a lot of shiny objects out there, right? So getting totally. into that, um, you know, that, that peer, uh, passion zone and and seeing where you're proficient. You know, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get um, you know disinterested and, and have to do some of those things. But there's um, there's the magic really happens when you're both passionate and proficient on something. And when you apply your unique skills and ability into that, um, even though you fail along the way, it you know there's there's no nefarious intent um, along any of those failures. You're just learning mm-hmm. as you go. But at least it comes from a place of, of, you know, pure, genuine motivation and care. Mm. Um, and maybe this is related, but um, has there, is there any sort of new belief or practice or behavior that you have picked up in the past five years or so that has helped you, like, get clarity on that path or has helped you just to be more efficient or a better leader? Yeah, you know, I actually, I think there is. Um, I am a person who actually loves complexity, right? So sort of the more complex the problem, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Um, Back in high school, I used to be, you know, really into doing like very long, complex proofs in geometry, right? And I could master 107-step proof and I saw how it all connected. And then in nursing, um, I'm a a CVICU nurse. I'm an open-heart nurse. I loved the really complex, super sick puzzle that I got to peel apart together. And I loved complexity. And you know, one of the lessons that my CEO has taught me is that, you know what, April, in almost all cases, simple is better. And so just, you know, <laughs> think about yeah. things. And if the, if, the, if the pathway is so complex, it's going to take additional time. It's going to take additional thought. It's going mm-hmm. to take, um, you know, many more steps to potentially even uncover if the outcome is worth it. And so when you're looking at things and when I'm deciding on pathways and solutions and trying to figure out, um, I, I'm more often than not now going to look for simplicity as opposed to complexity, even if I've previously uh-huh. been drawn there. But the interesting part about that is I don't think looking for simplicity has actually reduced creativity. And that was always yeah. my concern, right? So if I was just trying to make things as simple as possible, was it just going to be boring? And I think the answer to that is no. You know, I still have the ability to connect dots in ways that, that perhaps others don't. Um, but with that, it's, you know, taking that approach to keep it more simple and less complex. Mm. 
there's a lot of elegance in solving the 107 step proof in you know 20 steps like there's a there's a great degree of creativity but and also you know intelligence in in making something complex really simple that's that's just it and you know i also think there's there's a certain knack that some people have to take simple things and make them complex right <laughs> and so i'm trying to not do that <laughs> Like, this is a simple problem. Let's just keep it a simple problem. You know, let's just cut this out from, you know, we don't need to go A all the way through Z and stop at each point. Let's just get there and <laughs> and move on. We got a lot yeah. of stuff to do. <laughs> um, I, I think um, this is very related. I see a lot of advice out there in the staffing industry and in, and just in general leadership advice that does make what's very simple, quite complicated. but. Um, can you think of any bad recommendations that you hear in your profession or in the staffing industry that you would prefer we just do away with? Oh, I, I could think of a lot of them. Um, some of them might get me booed off the show, but you know, <laughs> I, I think right now, and especially as we're into the end of a year, right? So for many of us that operate on a typical calendar year, um, you know, we're thinking about fourth quarter right? We're thinking about um, closing strong. We're thinking about setting goals for our next year. Um, And, you know, something that I think is just kind of a little silly right now is to really believe that anybody knows what's going to happen, right? So we all see our trends, right? We know our trends. We know the the wave that we've been on. We look at those trend lines and we all have stepped back from the highs and the lows and we've evaluated the trend line. We can see what's happening. Um, What I think is, you know, a a misguidance or perhaps just almost an irrelevant strategy right now is to go plan out what's your three-year plan? What's your five-year plan? That's, it's silly, right? And if that's the way you're Uh thinking about how you're going to get to the next milestone in your business, um, you know, I would prepare to be disrupted, right? And so... I think, you know, some of the bad advice has come that we're going to think about our business in the way that we've thought about our businesses before and that some of the same principles apply um, because they don't. And, and that's, you know, a way that I think people can, can get a little sideways. Mm, that's great. It's also, um, if, if nothing else, 2020 has showed us that we have no ability to predict the future. So right. any model that is reliant on, predicting what is even going to happen in 2021 is probably going to be just a, not just fall short, but be a total waste of time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you spend a whole lot of time on that, um, it's tough. And I also think that we have to give consideration to what is happening with our buyers right now too. So, you know, healthcare buying cycle has always been really long. And in many, many ways, right? And during the pandemic, it turned into a lightning fast speed of a buying cycle because they really, really Mm -hmm. needed help in a lot of ways. And, you know, with that, there's also great uncertainty in many, in many places there with our buyers. So as we sort of step back and we evaluate targets and goals and objectives, we have to take into account where our buyers are at and how attainable some of these things are based on, on where they are. And I think, you know, once again, the thought rules is that, you know, let's keep it simple, right? Let's just keep doing what is doing, what is working well. 
Um, let's keep defining the jobs that need to be done with our customers. So what are those jobs to be done? And think about ways that we can get that job done. And, you know, maybe the business is going to look a little different. Maybe we need to launch some different service lines. Maybe we need to shut down some things that we were doing that just aren't relevant anymore. Um, and, and refocus teams and goals. Um, and this is, this is maybe, maybe you've exactly pointed to why this question is unanswerable, but what do you see on the horizon for Aya Healthcare? You know, Aya is an incredible company. I, and I'm not saying that just because I, I work for Aya and I eat, sleep, and breathe Aya. <laughs> Um, we really truthfully have created an incredible, um, an incredible company. We've doubled in the last year in size and and that doesn't happen again by accident. And it also doesn't really happen in our industry by the time you start at the size we were at and then you double in one year. Um, that's just unheard of, right? So when I think about the excitement that comes along with being part of the growth story here, um, I think it's, you know, it's very humbling. It's also very rewarding and it's very motivating, right? And so when you think about, wow, like what the, the hills we have climbed together, the, the, you know, summits that, that we are undertaking here, um, it's incredibly inspiring. And so I'm very motivated about what's happening into the future. I am so impressed at the speed in which we've released new technologies um, and that we've improved business processes. I'm just thrilled with some of the really great talent that's joined our organization and the talent that would like to join the organization and our ability to continue to scale and grow in those ways. Um, The camaraderie that I feel amongst my peer group and inside our organization and all of our teams continues to grow. And I think our relentless focus on ensuring that our clients are happy, ensuring that our clinicians are having an exceptional experience in working with us and continuing to differentiate ourselves that in those ways will really be, um, you know, sort of that, that leading, continuing uh, leading strategy into 2021. I talked with, you know, I just had a meeting with my team today and I was like, here's, here's what we're going to do. Just keep going, right? <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. This is, you know, they're doing a really, really great job. But I see a ton of opportunity. And and do am I naive enough to think that nothing will change? No, right? Am I confident and poised enough to believe that we have the, the right infrastructure, that we have the right talent, that we have the right leadership, and that we have the right um, motivation and sort of centeredness to know that we're going to make good decisions and we're going to do the right thing with the business regardless of what happens in, in the market for that, what we don't know, right? right? We don't know mm-hmm. what it's going to be, um, but I feel very positive about it. I feel very bullish about our, our position um, and I'm, I'm humbled and honored to, to be in this position and to continue to do the work that we're doing because I know this work is very, very important. Mm. That's great. That's a, that's a beautiful place to end and I, I just, I like the way you pulled together an idea that we have no idea what's happening, but if we're agile and adaptable enough and um, rely on our strengths, then we can, you know, chase the future, come what may. Absolutely. What other choice is there, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
Well, thank you so much, April. This was a, a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Caitlin. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.